Good morning, everyone. How are you? Dramatic pause, over. All right. My name is Tim Porter, and I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Community. Thank you so much for being here uh, together. It's good to be in the room with you all. And if this is one of your first times here with us, thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning on this beautiful, crisp fall day. Uh, online. Uh, thanks for being here as well. It's good to be together in this way. Uh, I don't know if you're feeling excited, but I'm feeling excited with the cool, crisp air. Football's on TV again. We're going to have a great victory today where the Packers are going to crush the Vikings. It's going to be a... It's going to be a great day. That was for you, Deb. Where's Deb? There you are. That's you. That was for you, Deb. Yeah. She was giving me grief yesterday. She's going to wear a, pa- or a Vikings jersey today. Where's the Vikings jersey? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, it is, uh, it's, really good to be, it's really good to be together. Um, you know, before I, uh, before I uh, launch into the teaching time, I just want to give you a little bit of an update. This is an encouraging update. Um, Tim Prince, our teaching pastor, has been on sabbatical now since July. And if you're new to faith community, uh, Tim Prince and his family, um, they lost their son in a tragic accident at the beginning of July. And he has been on sabbatical uh, since, since then, just to have a chance to begin to grieve together, just to begin to grieve together and to heal together. And he's going to be coming back next week and start teaching and getting back into the teaching rotation. And we are really, really, really excited to have him. Um, he'll, he'll start back into the teaching rotation, so I think he'll be on next week, and then I'll be back, and then he'll do two weeks in a row, and then come back. And we're just going to play it by ear and see how, see how it goes and see how, how, yeah, just how things go for him. But uh, I met with him on Wednesday and had coffee with him, and it was a good time. And just so you know, he loves you. He misses you. He misses teaching. He's really looking forward and eager, eager to be back. Uh, one thing I just want to ask of you all, and you guys have just been amazing, uh, amazing as a church uh, to care for and love the princes in the way that you have been. One thing I just want to ask for you, like in the next couple of weeks when he's up here uh, teaching and preaching, like right afterward, uh, right after the services, come up, say, you know, thanks. It's good to be back. I've been praying for you, um, you know, encouraging words, those types of things. But I just want to ask you just for some time just to not say something like, hey, how are you doing? Okay. Uh, and, and I just mention that because, as you know, grief is really complex. Grief is really complex. And it's, that's a hard answer when you're grieving. It's a hard question when you're answering. It's, hard, or it's a hard question to answer when you're grieving. Like, how am I doing right now? You know? Uh, so we just want to, you know, just care for him in that. He, you know, again, encourage him. Come up and say hi. And uh, thank him for being here. Tell him you're praying for him. But just avoid some things that might just in that moment, um, cause him some awkwardness or stuff like that, okay? All right, uh, hopefully that makes sense. Do you have any questions? Just come up and talk to me afterward, okay? Um, our son, Ian, graduated this year, and he's now over in University of Northwestern St. Paul and uh, enjoying his freshman year so far. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's many times when uh, someone is going through a transition like graduation, uh, we as Christians uh, write down encouraging words to one another in cards, and we say different verses. And one of the verses that usually um, is used to encourage us when we go through these transitions is something like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans for your good. That's true. But there are times in life, aren't there? There are times in life when you're experiencing God's plan and you're wondering, wait, if this is God's good plan to prosper me right now, I would hate to see what his worst plan is. 
because this is the good plan? There are times when and seasons when we experience such traumas and tragedies and seasons of difficulty where it's like, wait a second, is this really a part of God's plan for me? And how do I meet and know God in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this season, in the midst of this trauma, in the midst of this injustice that I'm experiencing? God doesn't give us a lot of principles to help us when we're in seasons like that. He gives us stories. He gives us stories. And one of the stories that we can learn from about what it's like and what God is doing and what he's like in the midst of seasons of trauma, difficulty, injustices, things going sideways in our lives, where is God? He gives us a story. And so the invitation in this series is to enter into this story with Joseph and to enter into it and to take a look around to see what God is doing and what God is like in the story of this dreamer and the God and the God who has dreams for Joseph and the God who has dreams for you and me. And what's he like in those dreams? And what can we expect? We're learning today, or taking the next step in um, this journey together by reading uh, Genesis 37 verses 12 through 36. It's found on page 31 of the Bibles in front of you, and then I'm gonna walk through this passage in three headings, three headings that God is revealing hearts in this passage. He's revealing hearts. There's always purpose in the pit. There's always purpose in the pit that God brings us through. And I wanna learn a little bit about the contours of grace and what God's heart is like so we can trust him when we're in the pit. Genesis 37, verses 12 through 36, page 31 in the Bible's in front of you. Now his, his here being Joseph. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing, uh, pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And he found a man, and he found him, sorry, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go down to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They, his brothers, saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that, the fierce that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him instead into this pit where they're here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. He said this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him back to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. And the pit was empty, for there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many, many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My wife and I and our son Seth were at the State Fair last Saturday when, uh, when there was a shooting that took place. And we were within about 100 yards of where the shooting took place. And we were there at about 9.40. We experienced the first stampede of people running out of the midway. And they were running right past us. And thankfully, though, we were able to get out of the we were able to get out of the state fair, and we were in the bus line out outside the bus gate, waiting there when the shots went off and the fireworks were happening about ten o'clock that night. That day was an interesting day. I don't know how many of you have been to the state fair, and how many of you are like in touch with what what the feel is like at times in big locations like that or big events like that. But it was a strange day because the weather was beautiful. Sort of like yesterday, it was cool. Doug, I got some ringing going on. Could you help me with that? Thank you. Uh, it was the, the weather was just beautiful. I mean, it was nice and cool. There was like a quarter of a million people at the state fair, and you didn't feel that crowded. It was massively crowded, but the weather was so beautiful. It was just wasn't crowded. It, it, it made it feel that crowded. But there was also this emerging tension that was going on at the state fair. My family and I, we were in line at Sweet Martha's Cookies, getting cookies, and right behind us, a fight just broke up out of nowhere. Two ladies just started to fight each other. And then, of course, just like in a high school kind of situation, a bunch of people got around us like, yeah, you know, and just trying to uh, fuel this thing on. And then some people started to talk and say, uh, yeah, there's been like three or four fights today. We've seen a couple of them, and there's something going on. And thankfully, thankfully, the law enforcement was aware of what was going on. 
They were watching groups of people and the shooting didn't take them by surprise. They were ready for whatever could take place, what, what was going to take place. They saw something emerging that was going to be really dangerous and they took appropriate action to try to quell it. What we see in the story of Joseph and in his family is that there is an emerging danger going on. There is something emerging, something about to erupt in this family. Pastor Larry talked last week about the dysfunction in Joseph's family. And I just want to do a brief, just a brief, brief reminder of what is going on in Joseph's family. Joseph's dad is Jacob, also called Israel. Jacob was the unfavored son of his dad, Isaac. Isaac favored Esau. And Jacob wanted to get that favor and blessing on him and even deceived his father to get it. But that lack of favoritism or that favoritism toward Esau and disfavor toward him created a great hole in his heart where he was searching to get that blessing, searching to get that kind of love, searching to get that kind of affection from someone. And eventually that affection landed on his wife, Rachel. Jacob was married to two women. He was deceived into marrying two women. First was Leah, whom he didn't want to marry. And then Rachel, her sister, whom he absolutely adored. And he favored her over Leah. Joseph was one of two sons that was born to Rachel. She, Joseph is the firstborn son to Rachel. Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin sometime later. And all the affection that Joseph or that Jacob had for his wife, Rachel, now landed on Joseph, her firstborn son. And Jacob made Joseph, Jacob made Joseph his idol, his great love. And he didn't see that it was destroying his family. Joseph knew that he was the favored of his father and his brothers all knew it as well because jo Jacob gave Joseph this coat. It was a coat that was symbolized all of his affection and all of his favoritism. In that culture at that time, it's the firstborn son. Reuben should have been the one that was sort of prioritized, but no, not with Jacob. It was Joseph. Joseph knew that he was favored in such a way, to such a degree that uh, we read last week that Joseph gave a bad report about his brothers to his dad. If it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't so bad that, um, it wasn't enough that Joseph knew that he was favored in his father's eyes. He also gave this bad report, and in the bad report, the word there means a lie. Joseph slandered his brothers to his dad. Joseph was also very unaware of these dreams and the effect of telling these dreams on his brothers. Told him about this dream about how the sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down to him. And everybody knew, wait a second, you're talking about us. The whole family is going to bow down to him. He mentioned it twice. Totally unaware, it seems, of the hatred that this was stirring up in his brothers. Joseph is becoming a liar. Joseph is becoming filled with pride. His brothers 
his brothers filled with hatred. And this is the family that God loves. And this is the family that God promises. This is the family that God promises that he will, he will bless and he will bless the world through this family despite and through their dysfunction. Despite and through their dysfunction. This family is a mess. Now right away as we start to read into the Joseph story, we start to enter into the Joseph story, there's a couple things I want to highlight about God and families and us, is that we can learn some strong principles here in Joseph's life and what the dynamics are. We can learn about the the danger for us as parents to show favoritism to our children. It creates a mess, and it is bad. We should not be showing favoritism to any of our children. Our children should know, dads, our children should know that we really don't like them as much as we like their mom. It's sort of a joke, but it didn't go over very well. (laughs) If you ask any of my boys who's the favorite of dad, they would say mom, okay? That's what I mean by that. But favoritism is dangerous to a family system. We can learn that here. We can also learn the dangers of jealousy, the dangers of jealousy. These brothers are jealous of Joseph and the favoritism that dad has for him, but also that he's getting these dreams. And they all knew that these dreams were coming from God. God has a dream for Joseph. And they were jealous. One of the dangers of jealousy that we'll see in this passage here is it leads to hatred. It can lead to killing somebody in your heart. It can lead to all kinds of destructive things. And the sad thing about jealousy is that we always are tempted to see the good things in somebody else's life and want that for us and not see the pits that God brings them through. But as much as we can learn things about how to live from Joseph's life, what what we want to keep our eyes on, what what the author wants us to see most importantly and to come away from this story with is what is God like? Because the Bible is written not so much as a rule book to follow or with examples and morals to apply to our lives. It's about who God is and God introducing us to him and his heart and his mercy and his persistent, powerful, personal, passionate love for you and me. That God will not let anything get in the way of him bringing his dreams for us to be. That's where we want to focus. That's where we want to focus. And we believe here at Faith Community that when we get a glimpse of God's heart, and not just see it with our eyes, but it, it touches us we taste and we experience God's persistent, powerful, passionate grace and mercy, his chesed, 
His steadfast love that changes us into a certain kind of people. A kind of people who are generous in spirit. Kind of people who, at the core of our heart and the core of our relationships together, there is grace and mercy. One of our values as a church is to be generous in spirit, generous in our spirits. It's so easy to become critical in our, spir- in our spirits and to see other people's faults so easily. But grace, when we capture grace, or better, it captures us, creates a generosity of spirit. We become overwhelmed that God is patient with a broken world. Overwhelmed and with gratitude that he loves us despite, despite our persistent faults. Now, I want to mention this, not just because as a church we want to experience God's grace and become generous in spirit, because we believe that as we live as a Christ-centered community, as we live as a church that has Jesus and his grace and his mercy at the core, we become a light to what God is like. We become welcoming People who, just investigating Jesus or might not know much about who Jesus is, start to experience him in our relationships and how we care for one another, how we care for them. This is really important. I've heard many, many times, and I've thought this as well, I've heard many, many times people say, I've got to clean up my act. I've got to clean up my act, and then God will accept me. The Bible looks at it the complete opposite We can never clean up our act enough to be acceptable to God. That's the beauty of grace. No matter where we are in the mess, God is persistently caring for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? One of the messages of the story of Joseph God has a dream for Joseph. And that dream, that plan, is to prosper him and do him no harm. And that dream and that plan leads him into a pit. We need to remember, and one of the things we see in Joseph is that God's dreams for us are not inconsistent with pits. God's love is compatible with pits. Again, picking up the story, Joseph has a dream. He's favored by his dad. His brothers are starting to hate him. One day, Jacob, also named Israel in the passage, tells his son, Joseph, hey, I want you to go to Shechem and I want you to uh, see, check in on your brothers. How are the flocks doing? Go down there and check them out and bring back to me word of how everybody's doing. Joseph says, okay, I'll go. And he goes to Shechem. And while he's in Shechem, he doesn't find his brothers. And Shechem is a larger city. He doesn't find his brothers there. They've gone. He doesn't know where they've gone. And it just so happens that along the way, He meets a stranger who overheard his brothers talking about, hey, we're going to go to Dothan, which is about 14 miles away from Shechem, a desolate place. 
And he's there, he finds out that that's where his brothers are. So he goes to join his brothers in Dothan. And then as he is walking to Dothan, his brothers see him a long way off. When we read this, they saw him far away. And before he came near to them, they started to conspire against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. They want to see what's going to happen to the dreams. They're trying to stop the dreamer and the dreams, but they don't recognize that God's the one that has the dream for Joseph. As they're conspiring together about how to kill Joseph and get rid of him, Reuben, the oldest son, steps up, takes on that role of the oldest son, feels responsibility, what's going on, and he wants to bring Joseph back to his dad. He doesn't like him either. He hates him too, but, you know, he's feeling responsible. So he comes up with a plan. When Joseph came to he comes up with a plan, and that plan is to put him instead into a pit and not kill him. And his hope, his hope is that we'll put him into the pit, and then he'll go away, and his brothers will well, they'll start to do something else, and then Reuben can loop back around and get him out of the pit and then bring him back to his dad safe and sound. That's his plan. And this is how it goes. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. So far it seems like Reuben's plan is coming along, but then Reuben's plan gets disrupted as well. Verse 26, and Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? They see the Ishmaelites over there in the, over in the distance say, hey, come, let us sell them to the Ishmaelites and let us, let him, let him not be, uh, sorry, and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listen to him. Now, if you're, if you're Joseph in this and you've got these dreams and you know that these dreams are from God, what are you asking yourself in the midst of all this? What's happening to God's dreams? My brothers are throwing me into a pit. But what the author wants us to see is that the pit is not inconsistent with God's dream. The pit isn't inconsistent with God's love for Joseph. God's love for his brothers. God's love for Jacob because God's doing something with the pit. If you notice in this passage, what's intriguing to see is that God's name is not mentioned at all. That's the design, I think, of the author because there's times when we are being thrown into the pit in life when God seems absent. He's not there. And what the author wants us to see is that even when God seems absent, he is still purposefully at work managing every minute detail. 
We're not supposed to look at this passage and say, oh, it's by accident that Joseph fell into there, or it's just simply because, it's just simply because the brother's hatred that he is in the pit. No, 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 a whole way. It just so happens that, jo- that Jacob says to Joseph, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers. It just so happens that he goes down to Shechem, they're not there, and then he runs into a stranger who knows exactly where they went. They're in Dothan. It, as he goes to Dothan, he's, he's then overtaken by them. All these different things happen to bring Joseph into the pit. See, two things need to happen. Joseph can't be killed because that's not part of the dream. But he needs to get to Egypt. And God's bringing him to Egypt through a pit. Do you see? Can you recognize that in the pits, in the traumas, in the injustices, in the difficulties, in the griefs, God's persistent love is right there with you and me, just like with Joseph. Just like with Joseph. God's name might be absent, but he's hidden, still purposefully working. A few, centuries, a few centuries later, after this event in Dothan, the same city of Dothan, a prophet named Elisha is there, and he's surrounded by the Syrian army. And he calls out to God. He calls out to God, and God reveals that this army of Syria is actually surrounded by an angelic army. That's at times how we interpret God's love. I call out in the midst of distress and you show the army. Yeah, that's God's purposeful love in this situation. But God's purposeful love is both types of Dothans. The one where God shows you the army and brings deliverance and power. The the other one when you cry out, and you're left there. The Elijah, or the Elisha story is one of sort of simple salvation, if we can look at it that way. God's displaying his power and he is going to um, deliver the people of God and let them see all the power around him. But the salvation that God is trying to bring about, the, the goodness that God is trying to bring about in Joseph and Jacob and his brother's lives, it's complex, significantly complex. Some of you know the end of the story. God knows that 20 years from this event in Joseph's life, there's gonna be a famine that's going to come. And if Joseph doesn't get to Egypt, he will die, his family will die, And hundreds of thousands of people in Egypt will die. And God does not want them to die in that famine. So that's one way that he's trying to save this people. He's trying to save them from this famine. Both Egypt and also this family that he loves. But then he's also trying to save them from their own hearts. 
He's trying to save Joseph from his pride and his arrogance and make him into the kind of man that when his brothers do bow down to him, he will receive that with humility. He's trying to change and save Joseph's brothers from their own hearts, from their hatred and their jealousy as well, and put them into a spot when they need to ask their brother for forgiveness. He's trying to save Jacob, Israel, from the idol of loving his son way too much. God's doing all of that. It's complex. You see that God is doing complex things in your life too? In the midst of the pits, in the midst of the traumas, what God is revealing, he's also showing so he can heal. Some of you know the story of Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to the Alka Indians and he, he died. He was killed by the very people he was trying to help know who Jesus is. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, some time ago, wrote about an experience that she had while she was in northern Wales, and this was after her first husband had died. She buried two other husbands after Jim. She says, years ago, while visiting friends who owned a sheep ranch in northern Wales, one day we, she saw, we saw a shepherd picking up sheep and taking it to a sheep dip, which is a large vat of liquid insecticide and fungicide, to put the, put the sheep down into the vat and basically seemingly drown the sheep. Keep pushing the sheep back in, back in, back in, back in. And she noticed that the shepherd was doing this and the, and the sheep was like just grasping for air as, as the shepherd kept putting it back in, back in, back in. And she said that she wondered out loud, I wonder what it's like to feel like your shepherd's trying to kill you. Sometimes it feels that way with God. But the only way to save the lamb, the sheep, is to dip it into the vat. The only way to save this family is to bring them through the pit. God's at work. Do you see God at work around you? Not just in the deliverances, but in the traumas, injustices, difficulties, sufferings, griefs. He's at work. One of the things that can happen, one of the things that can happen to us is when we go through difficulties, when we go through traumas, when we go through sufferings, is that we can start to think that God is punishing us for something. I don't know if you've ever experienced that at all. I know I have. Oh, man, I must have done something really bad to deserve this, and God's punishing me for that. Or I, I try to obey at times because I don't want to be punished by God. And one of the things that Joseph reminds us of, the contours of grace, God's heart, that even when he brings us through, even when he brings us through pits, even, though he, even when he brings us through difficulties, even though he's revealing our hearts and he is seeking to change us and transform us through the difficulties, we can be confident, confident that he's not punishing us. Why? Think about Joseph's life just for a second. 
Does any of this sound familiar? He was betrayed by his brothers. He was stripped naked. He was sold for shekels of silver. Does that sound like anybody else you know? Thousands of years later, Jacob's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, would be sold, betrayed, rejected, stripped, hung on a cross, died, rose again. Why? One of the reasons is so that when you and I go through pits, we can have great confidence, deep hope that we're not being punished right now because that punishment landed on Jesus. And not only that, one of the other reasons why Jesus went through everything that he went through is because God never calls us to go through anything that he's not willing to go through himself. Every trauma, every difficulty, every suffering, God has tasted in some way so he knows how to be close to us in the pit. He knows how to give us hope in the pit because it doesn't stop in the pit. With Jesus, there's always a resurrection. No counselor could have looked at Joseph's life in the pit and seen where God was going to bring him. Let us be careful about evaluating our lives and our circumstances in the middle of our stories when there's still a resurrection to come with Jesus. There's still a resurrection to come. If you're in the room, would you please stand? I want to pray for us. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your persistent, personal, passionate, disciplining, refining mercy and love for us. Thank you for Joseph's story. We can know that you're with us in the pit and that you have purpose for it. And even though we may be abandoned by others, we will never be abandoned by you. And thank you as well that you're not willing to let us go through anything that you're not also willing to go through yourself. We can have comfort, hope, with your presence. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please join us in singing one last song together?